Pushkin. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. Before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore and the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision and her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. James Fauntleroy is one of the most prolific pop songwriters of the last 15 years. Some of his most prized placements include songs written for Beyonce, Rihanna, Justin Timberlake, Bruno Mars, and so many others. He's also contributed background vocals to songs by Travis Scott, Jay-Z, and his longtime friend, the late Nipsey Hussle. Similar to his music industry idol and mentor, Babyface, James Fauntleroy is also an artist in his own right. His own songs that are best described as a really innovative take on alt-R&B have lived on streaming platforms for the last decade. But in December, he finally released his first official debut album, The Warmest Winter Ever, a Christmas album that's put through the Fauntleroy filter. On today's episode, I talked to James Fauntleroy about why he decided to drop his debut album well over a decade into his career. He also explains how hundreds of his songs were stolen and posted online by international hackers and why he considers both Weird Al Yankovic and John Mayer among some of his biggest musical influences. This is Broken Record, liner notes for the digital age. I'm Justin Richmond. Here's my conversation with James Fauntleroy. What's up, man? How you doing, man? Good to meet you. Hey, you too. What's up? through. Yeah, my first album came out today. Your album? I know, man. Come on, dog. This is this is it. So that's nice. And then my first, the last album I put out was not my album, but it got nominated. I mean, I'm sure you know. Yeah, the EP with with, with Terrace. So that's right. So I'm going to sing one of those songs today. You nervous about it? No, I, uh, I. It's hard for me to feel nervousness. I've just always been like that. I don't. It's hard to feel nervousness and also excitement. <laughs> All, like since a kid, even. Yeah. 
I don't know, dude. I've always been like that. I've always just been like, fuck it. Getting on stages and talking and doing speeches and whatever. If you don't feel you have nervousness, how do you deal with, not that you've experienced a lot of it, but how do you deal with any even small level of, not even failure, I guess, just something not going well, no, right? I've experienced a exponential amounts of failure, rejection, disappointment, because that's music business. It sounds like good podcast stuff. But um, I think that it helps in that sense because you have to be some type of insane to continue to do anything after you've been told no 700 times. For me, I've only recently gotten to the point of where you're at, which is just fuck it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, people used to say that, like, you know what I mean? Like, or even that Cat Williams bit back in the day of just, you know, you need a little fuck it in your system. Well, that's probably because a lot of artists have like tough lives. So my life was so rough before I started doing this. I didn't even know this shit was a thing you could do. Man, so before the music industry, your, your life was tough. It was crazy. It was crazy on multiple levels. When you look so, back, what do you what do you see? I see somebody that ended up being really super lucky. Just general luck, but also the luck of being exposed to different identities and possibilities. So yesterday I met with the Department of Corrections, which was funny because the first because I'm I'm doing a, a pilot program for like juvenile probation uh, kids and shit. And the lady was like, just so you know, these kids are dangerous. And I just started laughing because I was like, lady, I'm dangerous. <laughs> I'm not scared of these kids. You know, I know what, what their lives are like. I know why they, because I had the same experience. It was like all D's and F's for the entire time I was in school, which is so funny because I'm such I'm so such an intellectual that it's almost like, you know what I mean? Like I... You damn near self-identify as a nerd, right? Like, Oh, oh not, not damn near. It's, I mean, I'm wearing a Pokemon... <laughs> diamond chain yeah but yeah i've been uh 3d modeling for 10 years i'm i'm always trying to get people to watch cs50 that's harvard's free computer science course on youtube i'm a serious serious nerd but i just happen to be born in um you know a wild environment at a wild time it was like the height of well, when i was born was the year crack was born yeah <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. Yeah. and so my my father who i don't know he was um he was military intelligence when you finish military with that level job you can get a good corporate job so he got hired at xerox corporate where he was taking money out of the safe to buy cocaine and people didn't know that crack turns you into a zombie so when he ran out of money obviously he got fired they caught him so I couldn't put the money back fast enough. And he started smoking crack to take the edge off. And then, boom, that's crackhead. So How old were you when he point? was strung out? I was three. So yeah. I don't have any memory of any of this. Yeah. When my dad was a crackhead, my first cousin was a heroin addict. I grew up in all these extreme, like, just hood environments, losing friends to gun, gun violence from childhood to my adulthood. Because Nipsey was one of my best friends. So, like, I'm... I mean, some, one of my friends died last year still, so it's still like that, even though it's nowhere near what it was when the murder rate was like 2,000 people. And shit. Well, that's what I'm saying. I, I, when, when, when things like Nipsey happen now, man, it's almost, for me, it feels like, um, I'm like, damn, are we pat? Like, it feels like, because no, there was a time, not. obviously, where it was much more 
it was happening much more often. But so it, it feels I hate to say it, like a throwback almost sometimes still when when we're losing people. Problems not fixed, you know. You, you 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 know if you if you work on the symptoms and not the cause, then the disease is not gone. So yeah. Yeah. the the cause of um, the environment, a low socioeconomic environment, is something that we're not allowed to actually talk about or address under the social contract of human life. So yeah. until we can do that, which is gonna take, you know, probably another couple hundred years, then uh the issue's not gonna change. Evolution is slow. I didn't know we were we were doing the podcast though or I wouldn't have been talking about heavy <laughs> shit. You wanna take that up? We can take it out. <laughs> no, 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 it's cool. It's up to we'll, you, man. we'll see what we're you, what we you let me up. you let me know, man. All right, so let's start. Hey, what's up? <laughs> well now we're gonna put our we're gonna put our masks on now. <laughs> What's up? Hey, What's up, man, how you doing? Hey, good. How are you doing, man? Yeah, man. <laughs> Congratulations on uh, your debut album. Thank you so much, man. It's a wild thing to have a debut album almost twenty years into your career. <laughs> it's like a but, young buck thing. Yeah, right? man. Yeah, bro. It's. I think it's time. I think we're in a era that it's hard to um, keep that age stigma you know existing in the internet era because it's, it's just obviously not real anymore this project that you put out the warmest winter ever mm-hmm. been out to some degree in a couple different iterations Ten years yeah, yeah. The majority of it so first time in 2014 first batch of songs released in 2014 mm-hmm. then 20 2016 yeah yeah mm-hmm. why did you decide to compile those and, and, and drop those now it's a gift, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I haven't identified as an artist for this my entire career for a bunch of different reasons, but from the very beginning till now, like, uh, let's say I had a thousand fans when I started off, but like 10 of the fans were some of the biggest artists on the planet Earth. And they were finding my mu- my, my music either from me working in a session or someone telling them about it, and then going on YouTube where I had hundreds of songs uploaded. Mm. And especially at that time, I uploaded exactly zero of those songs. They were all hacked. And like, who was putting them up? There were hackers from Germany, from Paris, from Russia. They would contact me and tell me, like, I remember one time this, this, uh, I think it was a German, German or French hacker, but he found my aim. This is aim at the time. And he, uh, he sent me a picture of like 200 songs and was like, these hundred, these are all stolen. He was like, these hundred, I'm I'm posting, but this hundred over here, I really like these. I'm gonna hold on to these just so I can listen to them. <laughs> so shout out to the hackers because they really, um, they were the my first digital marketing team. How, how did these hackers know about you? Like, what was? Um, basically, the hustle was, which a lot of music business people don't even know this because they're they're not computer people, and I've always been a serious serious computer man. I knew the hackers were going to be stealing people's songs before it happened because I know how I know how it works, how they stole it. And so basically, I'm not going to say who it was, but a prominent music business person sent out a mass email one time and they didn't know how to use blind carbon copies. So they put every, the email of almost everybody I'd ever met in the music business was in this one email. And I remember seeing it and I was like, knowing what I know about hacking, I was like, this is not... This is not good because the wrong person gets their hands on all these emails. This is in the beginning of my career. And I was like. And was someone trying to help you, essentially? Was that no, no, like- no. He just was sending out like a blast about an artist. It was like, God. yo, I got a new artist. Everybody look at this. But he put almost everybody's music uh, in the music business email in this thing. 
And I was like, this is just not smart to have everybody's emails in one place like this. This is the purpose of blind carbon copy. And shortly after that, people started receiving these. It's called phishing, which now is a more known term. But sure enough, phishing emails started going out of people, uh, you know, like uh, cloning uh, industry emails and saying, yo, did you get this file? Listen to this. And they still do that to this day. But right. basically what they what you're able to do, especially the further you go back in time, the, the less security you had to deal with in emails. And so they were tricking them into giving you their username or not their username, their password. Then you can go in the email and set up a, a, a attachment filter and have it forwarded to another email. So basically they were going in all the ANRs, executives, producers, everybody's emails, setting up attachment filters to forward all attachments to their emails. And then their incentive for doing this was they were uploading all these leaks to websites where like music fans would go and then they were getting money from the ads on the website. Wow. So they're cleaning up. I was on those websites. I'm you feel sure. Me? No, I'm sure I was we on those were. websites. Yeah. So think about it. When you went to them old websites in the early 2000s or mid 2000s, they were covered in ads. Bro, crazy ads. Yeah. So yeah. The, the hackers were cleaning up. But they also, a lot of these guys, which if you think about it, it makes sense because a hacker is someone that sits in front of a computer all day. So they love music. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, because they're listening to music while they're doing their various hack things. I love that it's not all, it's not it's not only commercial concerns. Also, like these hundred songs, I'm going to keep. No, they're like, and, and a friend of mine got an email that of a hacker that was like, we want all of your James Fauntleroy Usher, uh, I forgot who the other people were, but they were, it was like a, he was like, we're coming for your shit. <laughs> we know you got them Usher songs and we coming to get that shit. And so what ended up happening is they putting all, they're putting all these songs on YouTube also so they can get ad revenue. And now my small fan base, which includes some of these huge celebrities, are able to go on YouTube and listen to my songs and other writers and go on YouTube and listen to a hundred of my songs. And so that that really had a big impact on me getting work and, and having something to support the word of mouth, wow. but also giving like hundreds um, of writers, like just hundreds of songs to study my style. So that yeah. was a part of my style becoming kind of proliferating you know, yeah, around, right? Ubiquitous in the, you know, R&B Sector. Yeah. So you were just making these songs like uh, your own personal songs. And no, just... I was trying to get placements. You were trying to get placements. Yeah, so when I got my first placement or a song on someone's album, it was on Catherine McPhee's album, and I don't remember the name of the song. But I was so excited because, you know, like just getting one song placed is a miracle. And the and guy. She was big at the time, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. popping. I was, I was happy. Um. <laughs> And the guy, one of the guys that worked at the publishing company came to me and he was keeping track of like everybody's songs because I was part of his job. And he gave me a spreadsheet and was like, I want you to see this and showed me that I had written or started 300 songs before my first placement. So like a lot of those songs were in the, were the ones that people are sending to A&Rs and stuff trying to shop them, which is so funny because I have almost no, I have like 500 releases and I think one came from shopping it. It, of all those 500 songs wow. the other hundreds of songs came from people just finding my personal music wow. 
and becoming fans and to answer this extremely long answer to your question why i wanted to do this now is because over the years my super small fan base has grown to a bigger small fan base of people that are really so supportive and and just you know like giving me so much energy especially when i'm i'm the music i've been releasing over the years is really just you know like to satisfy create my creative you know desire or whatever just wanting to to be able to release things that i don't have to think about all the parameters that come with working with superstars even though i also love parameters because they force you to do something different yeah and so why i'm putting the album out now is i just can't take it anymore i want to let the fans and people that listen to my music in the community and at large know that i appreciate all the support by putting some energy into it and then also i want to update these niggas because (laughs) you know like so many people study me and then also it's because i've already seen a lot of people talking about like why is james's first album a christmas album Actually, today I saw. Don't, a tweet. don't steal my question, bro. Well, uh, no. <laughs> today I saw question, a tweet bro. that said James Fauntleroy's debut album being a Christmas album is such a James Fauntleroy thing to do. <laughs> and I was like, mission accomplished. <laughs> so what's your what's your question? Why is your first album a Christmas album? Well, part of it. There's a couple of answers. One is like because these songs have been out for so long, I have I've had a lot of time to see what people like or not. Yeah, you know. And I get a lot of responses about this Christmas music throughout the year and four years. Like, so I know people like it and I know people listen to it not only in Christmas, but creatively it's just, um, it's a fun way to stretch my imagination. Because like, like for instance, I did an album one time that people don't even know is, is it's uh, seven songs on the project and each one of them is referencing a, a one of the days of creation in the Bible. And, you know, like, I did that because I was studying philosophy at the time, but also because it's just fun when you give yourself new, you know, almost every song is about the same, like, three or four things. Yeah. And I told you I wrote 300 songs before my first one, so you can imagine that was almost 20 years ago how many I've written up to this point. And you start running out of shit to say <laughs> and do, and, like, how do, you, how do I make this fun? It's like coming up with something new to to challenge myself and pull something new out of myself yeah. and i'm still I, I feel like i still haven't had which is going to sound crazy i can feel it right now but i feel like i still haven't had the success i'm trying to get well but it's funny because uh, you but you're working in two different like you like you could judge your success a couple of different ways like obviously working as a writer producer you've had just about as much success as one could hope to have as a writer producer right but then there is this like thing of you as an artist and it's like you know now when i go to look for james fontleroy on apple music or spotify or whatever it's not just you on featured on whatever it's like an actual body of work from you that i can so it's like this other thing probably keeps things fun for you man to like keep yourself challenged and motivated yeah i gotta think of something because the music business is not fun so like what do you mean by that it's terrible i mean like you know every movie about the music business is terrible like the temptations that's, that's the one i always use but i just showed my different. kids that temptation yeah you got to stay off of drugs kids. yeah you gotta show them because it's like we're we're selling an intangible product you know yeah and so like it's a breeding ground for common and you know, like people who are unscrupulous because it's 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 a great environment to hustle. Yeah. You know, so like that's really one of my life 
goals is to prove that you can be successful without being a piece of shit and fucking people over left and right and you know like doing fair business and do do you find yourself in the in, in wanting to practice less predatory sort of business practices do you do you find that like people try to screw you over every day absolutely and do you think people are trying to screw you over more because necessarily they see that as maybe a weakness and you're not trying to hustle no, people? No, I think they're or, just on autopilot. On autopilot. Um, just doing whatever they can, just trying stuff. Like the Raptors in Jurassic Park when they're like hitting the electric yeah. fence. <laughs> That's what these guys are just like testing every fence they get they come in contact with. And I wish it would be nice if people would, you know, like consider that before I got to this latest person that's trying to take advantage of me, how many people I had to get through to get to this point. Yeah. It would be nice if yeah. they would just, but I can't be mad. I, you know, I've been to Vegas. I played roulette once. It was, it was really, I was like, I get it. <laughs> you get it. Yeah, man. You know, you, you, you win one time and it just hooks you. So every time somebody, every time I see anyone do anything crazy or say anything crazy, my first thought is, oh, they got away with that shit before. And that's why they think they could do that. So it's really the, it's the business that's not fun. Yeah. That- the, the music that can also lose its, its excitement for a number of different reasons. But yeah, it's, it's the business and just human life. Like, I study philosophy so extensively. Like I, I spoke at the Philosophical Research Society. I think that was this year. Wow. What'd um, you speak on? Um, this one was about a, a famous philosophical text called The Secret Teachings of All Ages by um, Manly P. Hall, who's, who founded the Philosophical Research Society and my first talk there was like a decade ago and that was on NPR and I just found the footage because I feel like people think I'm lying when I say that shit but I got evidence now. It was on NPR? <laughs> yeah, real? I did wow. it with NPR and now I had um, college professors like nerd a nerd for real, bro. Oh, yeah, I was about to say, you did it. <laughs> it's like, I did it on yeah. NPR. No one believed me. Yeah, it was for <laughs> you real. You on Rihanna songs. You're like pulling up NPR footage. To show yes, bro. <laughs> Damn. Well, how'd you get into philosophy? Going broke. <laughs> I, I would thing. tell people when you lose all your money that's when you really start looking for God right in that moment you start praying and shit was this after you had some money yeah man um, you know I haven't met a person yet that didn't blow their first million dollars and most people I know are have also blown their last million dollars so it's just a, that's another part of the predatory environment that makes it hard to enjoy is like uh you know, like in sports, for instance, they have preferred um, business management mm-hmm. um, and regulatory boards, and they have all these things yeah. that have come into place to protect the, the young athletes. This mentorship system. Yeah, it's a whole thing to address that because they realize that the quality of life the players are experiencing has an impact on the product yeah. versus in our industry, there's none of that. There's no regulatory board. So people can do any deal that you will sign and mm-hmm. with no oversight. Um, there's no even like industry of what the term business manager implies. So like the biggest firms that are typical and the biggest entertainers that are going to like what you would consider like music firms, what they're getting is a CPA. That's an accountant. So the accountant is um, like paying your bills, typically on auto pay, calling the credit card company when your card doesn't work in Rome or whatever. Yeah. But what business manager implies is that they're going to manage your business. So what you're actually looking for is wealth management, somebody mm-hmm. that's going to, you know, come up with a plan for your money so that you can to build grow. wealth yeah. and budgeting and whatever versus, I mean, my last business manager I had, 
you know, I would call and say, hey, can I afford this? They'd be like, hell yeah, buy two. You know what I mean? And that actually was, that was not the truth. And so. Uh, was that a good thing? No, it was a terrible oh, thing. Oh, okay. Um, Sounds like great great news to me. No, <laughs> no. Buy two. I wish. To. Yeah, because that's not, that's not real. You know what I mean? Because basically what they're doing is banking on the fact that you'll just always have income. Yeah. And that's not how we get, we, 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 we rarely get paid especially if you're a songwriter, that's a whole other conversation because producers at least get fees. Yeah. And a songwriter as big as I am, I get fees sometimes, but that's not what we're all expecting that I'm not going to get a fee. You know what I mean? Right. And so for a songwriter, it's it's even harder because like you just don't have any way to get paid except for your publishing events, which is based on your ability to have hit songs, Yeah. which is something you also can't control. You know right. what I mean? After a quick break, we'll be back with more of my interview with James Fauntleroy. Every week at Broken Record, we meet with legends of the industry to uncover the meaning behind the music, the strategy and history that separate the good from the truly great. That's what Mark Chaikin does, but for the U.S. stock market. Mark is a creative legend in his own right. He worked on Wall Street for 50 years, invented three new indices for the NASDAQ, and has predicted some of the biggest market shifts of the past decade, including the recent mania in AI stocks. Now Mark says we're seeing a similar shakeup in the financial markets. He's calling this a new dawn for the U.S. stock market and predicts dozens of specific stocks will soar in the next 90 days. You can watch Mark's presentation for free at marketmessage2024.com right now. Again, the link to watch is marketmessage2024.com. That's marketmessage2024.com. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer helped shape the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed The Boar's Nest, Sue's Place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, 
wounded souls, wayward upstarts, would spur each other on to tap into something bigger, realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Bacharach as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash, alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the Boar's Nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of Outlaw Country Music. Listen now at audible.com slash the Boar's Nest. We're back with more from James Fauntleroy. Your name's always been a gold standard in terms of, so you, I know you're saying you're not Babe Ruth, you can't call hits, and that's true, but you've had an overwhelming amount of great songs written with great artists over, you know, now damn near 20 years. How have you been able to retain that level of creativity? And Well, a hit song is, that's something you buy, you know what I mean? Like... A hit song is not a sound. It's a, a element of a marketing campaign that costs a certain amount of money. So when people are, when I hear like an amateur, like, I got my new single coming out. I'm like, no, you don't have any money. You putting a song out. That's what that's called. A single is somebody that has the money. <laughs> it's a budget behind yeah, it. Yeah, that's, that's what a single is. And so that's why I'm like, I, I can't, I, I can't call it hit because that depends on you know, like what what people respond to, but more importantly, how much money people are spending on yeah. it. Now, what I can say is that I have um, really good taste, and why my taste, why I have so much confident confidence in my taste, is because although some of it is inherent or whatever, but for the most part, it's it's not about that. It's we have evidence of what works. We have Stevie Wonder, we have Prince, yeah. we have Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. We got Babyface, we got Diane Warren, we got all these people. Yeah. And it's really our job as modern creators to 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 try to comprehend not how to do what they did, but what worked. You know, I had an argument with the he's a really big executive now at the time he was a big executive. I had an argument with this guy one time because he was telling me that my songs were too complex, which he was right. But um, he was like, it was crazy too, because he was asking me to work for this artist and I was like, no. And then he was like, come on, work with the artist. And I was like, no. So then he said he wanted to have a meeting with me. Then he calls me in the meeting and the whole meeting is him telling me why my songs won't be hit songs. And so this is the early part of my career. So I'm sitting here. Also at the time, my manager was there and, 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 and my poor manager didn't know what my personality was like because growing up in the environment I grew up in, I knew like, you know, like in these kind of situations. In Inglewood. Yeah, the in less Inglewood. they know, the better. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I'm just like, he had been managing me for like, probably like almost two years and he didn't know that I was like I am. So I'm sitting here listening to this guy who just, I told no twice, tell me why my songs will never be hits. And I'm like, I feel the pressure rising up that I'm about to let this guy have it. <laughs> and I'm like, oh no, my manager doesn't know this is gonna happen. And so, even though I haven't, I've never yelled at anyone in the music business, but, and I, I have theories on why people feel like I'm yelling at them when I'm talking calmly, because I sounded just like this when I was talking to this guy. But after I let him say all this ridiculous shit, I was like, man, with all due respect, like if you take the number one songs from any period like the last year the last 10 years last 30 years um they're different tempos different topics different genres different looking people none of those factors are a thing it's something else that they have in common that i know that you don't know and so for you to sit here and tell me that i don't know how to write his song 
is absolutely ridiculous. Nobody knows, you know, but of the two of us. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know more than yeah, him. You know yeah. I mean? He was like, you're absolutely right. I hope he hears the shit. And that's just the truth. So like how I have, there's two things I'm thinking about. I'm, I'm measuring the quality of my music and the quality of the writing and melodies and all this stuff against these greats that I listed. So I'm like, I'm not looking at what people right now are doing. I'm looking at the people that already proved to us. Oh, because this is another thing I tell people all the time. Every um, generation thinks their music is the best, yeah. right? Man, when I was young, it was so good. I think that too now, even though I know what I'm about to tell you right now. Oh, and also people are always like, you got to make music simple because everybody's stupid, right? And so I tell people all the time, one, people have always been stupid. Day one, the first human to the last is going to be an abundance of idiots. So when Stevie Wonder was putting out music, people were just as dumb yeah. as they were now. And then further, when I think about all these um, these different people that I'm talking about, the other element of what makes people like songs is like, yes, I'm, I'm comparing myself quality-wise to all these greats, but what I'm really trying to do with the song is turn a consumer into a believer. Mm. You know what I mean? Like that's- In, in good music, in yeah, good yeah, songs. Like, yeah, like something that connects you with the person. Cause I'm always telling people, which is just funny. Cause I have, I've seen, I just saw an interview of somebody saying the opposite of what I'm about to say, but art is, it's, it's already cathartic. You know what I mean? When you're, when you make a piece of art, you're, you're using your experience to, to make it. Even bad art's cathartic. Right. Everything. But the value of it, the, the part that people are paying you money for, is not about your catharsis. It has mm. nothing to do with you. Mm. So like my my secret or my my what I'm thinking about is, you know, there's the quality part I told you about, but my my intent is to make something that connects the listener because of the level of service this song is providing in their lives. And so, you know, there's different venues, there's barbecues, there's the car, there's the club. A great example I always tell people because for whatever reason people think I only listen to classical music and shit. <laughs> what? <laughs> Do whenever you? I tell people I listen, I listen to I, I listen to. I just started listening stuff. to classical, right? Like, I do real. listen to classical music, but I love all kinds of stuff. So I always tell people a great example of a song that is of extreme like levels of use is "Back That Ass Up," right? Oh my god! Because we'll we'll use that song till the end of time. Tell me, please Mariah break it Carey, down. Yeah, like Mariah Carey, the Christmas song. Back that ass up. You know, there's just like a couple songs that we consider classics. Oh, yeah, and I just remember my other point was that people always think music is so good from their era, but the the fact is we stop playing the shit that's not of use. We stop playing the things that aren't good anymore. That's real, man. Yeah, so there's a shitty lot of music the, a lot the of Because that's the thing. There'll be, there'll be certain sounds that I, I, like when I'm listening to them at the time, I get real tired of real fast and I can't listen to any of it. 10 years later, 15 years later, when all like the weakest versions of the, of that style mm -hmm. have kind of gone away and you only have the 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 cream is risen and it's like, "Oh, wait, why didn't I love this shit actually? Why didn't I why didn't I not listen to it?" It's like, "Oh, cuz cuz that's that's how it works." Yeah. The ones that are impactful uh, and and also that's good you that's great you said it like that cuz like it's also the ones that really capture the sound the best. Yes. You know, like from the Ratchet era, we have Rack City. And loyal, yeah. Those two songs are gonna be the representatives of that genre in twenty years. Yeah, 
even though there is and, and there's a couple more rap oh, I thought songs. that era was great in yeah, time was. though I gotta be honest I don't know <laughs> it was great so yeah there's like probably five six seven maybe even ten of them songs it was a thousand that came out yeah um, but same thing for new, the New Jack sound same thing for yeah, yeah New Jack know, was tough at the, like in the and the growing up with New Jack was it, it was just everywhere, and it kind of it got old for me at the time. But going back, you're like, yo, like, I don't know, man. The best certain of it. ones that we we always gonna play them. Yeah, and so that's my goal is like to to make something like that, something that is so useful. You have a really unique sound, though, man. I know, man. Well, it was unique in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like it still is. Like, I feel like listening even to this record, like, it's clear, like, people make music more like you now. But there's still something in you doing it and in your songs and in you performing them that make them sound original still, you know, and, and unique. But let's talk, maybe we can talk about your songwriting. Yeah. Your structure is Come on, very different <laughs> than most songwriters' structure. Were you trying to play with form or was it just like, that's just how you heard it? No, it's very intentional. When I started, um, you know, there were writers I really admired that I was trying my best to write songs like, just like everybody else. Like who, you know, like who, might, who might have that have been? Well, my biggest, at, right at the time I actually got signed, the underdogs who I actually got, ended up getting signed to. Wow. Where they were um, kind of like redefining R&B at that time. So I was really like, studying their music hard and it and was kind of copying it unbelievable well i couldn't copy because i didn't know how <laughs> you know what i mean but, but like it was certain little things that i was like i like this i like that but then i ended up going there and being trained in that style so much so that it was like and don't do it any other way either yeah, yeah, <laughs> so that yeah, was another yeah. like part of the development but when i got there people were telling me even though Brandy's one of the best singers ever and and really foundational to my sound and, and everything. Also, even like the people she wrote with, I consider them, like LaShawn Daniels, for instance, I consider them to be huge influences Top on notch. my writing. Yeah. But being the kind of person I am, I don't want to hear that shit all day. I don't want to hear people telling me I sound like Brandy all the time because I'm like, what are you, what are you, what are you saying? <laughs> you know? So yeah, I really sat up there for like and i'm still doing it to this day like i'm really like i was like i want to i want my own sound hmm. it would never not have brandy in it you know like i think even while i was consciously developing my sound I, that's when i discovered image and heap Ooh. and yeah. you know like the 80s in general are a big um you know i think that was when when humanity really started um nailing down what pop music really could be yeah. And so that's a big part of her style I can hear too. But when I heard Image and Heap, it was like, okay, this is what I'm trying to do. You know, it makes I mean? sense because the, you got that real, like the soulfulness of a brandy, mm -hmm. but the, those weird sounds that you might hear in Emoji Heap. Yeah, right. And the productions are big, like a, like like the best of well, babies. That's because I am from the hood too. You know what I'm saying? But also, that's another funny thing about the hood experience is like gangsters love music, man. Like I was getting a great. You know, I was learning a lot about me. I think the first person to really, my mom was the first person to try to convince me that Prince was somebody I should get into. But it was really like a bunch of thugs that was riding around blasting Prince out of lowriders that I was like, let me check this out. I remember my dad trying to put me on to DJ Quick by telling me <sighs> One of the he's best the ever. Prince of hip hop. <laughs> he's he like, is. He's, like, he's just like Prince. Listen. He was right. He was like, Rhythmalism is one of the best albums I ever heard in my whole entire life. Hands down, including every type of music I've ever heard. That's like top five albums for me. 
It's amazing stuff, man. I I rarely talk about Dave Hollister as an influence, but that was a big influence, and he's doing like soul gospel kind of singing, and I was really getting into that. Um, Michael Franks is a big influence. Who, you know, the least people I come in contact are familiar with Michael Franks, but I also know some some ghetto people that I'm not the only one in the hood, Mr. Franks, <laughs> that listens to to your music. But um, you know, I just had all these different influences, and basically. It's two things. One, singing and writing is night and day skills. They don't go together. Most of the big writers that have ever lived were not great singers. Mm. Most of the great singers I know about were not great writers. So mm. those are two different things I had to study. Mm. You know, like my my story of my singing style is a different path than... But you wanted to have both. You wanted to have singing and songwriting. Yeah, I didn't have a choice. You know, you can't choose if you can sing or not. You know what I mean? So I just happened to be able Born to with sing. It. But I love books and I'm a nerd. So I'm into words and and tone and writing. And like, I, I was already an avid reader. You know what I mean? So I, I was, I already was interested in the process of writing. Like, you know, like literary writing but as far as songwriting before i started really writing songs my favorite writer was probably weird al <laughs> every song i wrote be including my first song i wrote period my first song was a joke because like you know that's all that's what writing was to me i didn't know it was a job so the only things i ever wrote were like parodies of, of like the hot boys i wrote a song called hot breath when i was in uh in high school how did so that go like that it was just a hot breath, the hot breath, ha ha. I remember like writing the verses out and everything because I love Weird Al. We're going to pause for another quick break and then we'll be back with more from James Fauntleroy. Every week at Broken Record, we meet with legends of the industry to uncover the meaning behind the music, the strategy and history that separate the good from the truly great. That's what Mark Chaikin does, but for the U.S. stock market. Mark is a creative legend in his own right. He worked on Wall Street for 50 years, invented three new indices for the NASDAQ, and has predicted some of the biggest market shifts of the past decade, including the recent mania in AI stocks. Now Mark says we're seeing a similar shakeup in the financial markets. He's calling this a new dawn for the U.S. stock market and predicts dozens of specific stocks will soar in the next 90 days. You can watch Mark's presentation for free at marketmessage2024.com right now. Again, the link to watch is marketmessage2024.com. That's marketmessage2024.com. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. 
Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer helped shape the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed The Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, would spur each other on to tap into something bigger, realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Bacharach as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash, alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the Boar's Nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of Outlaw Country Music. Listen now at audible.com slash the Boar's Nest. We're back with the rest of my conversation with James Fontleroy. When did songwriting become a thing you f- knew that you could do, like, as a as a career? Like, when did that become, like, I want to do this? Well, it was when I found out you could get paid. You know, I seen somebody pull up in a nice car with a nice outfit on and nice this and that. And I was like, what's up? What's going on over here? And so that's when I found out, because I was at a publisher's, I was at Universal's publishing studio. They had a recording studio. And I had actually been there before singing a demo for somebody right before I actually had my first like writing session there. And I just had no idea about what publishing was or publishing deals and admin and all this stuff. So when I found out what it was, I got on the internet and I researched it so thoroughly that when I got my first terrible deal, I told my lawyer, I was like, yo, this is bad, right? And he was like, I don't know the hell you think you are. You need to sign that shit right now. So I actually had to make a decision on the spot. I was like, do I want to take this bad deal and get the opportunities? Which I don't suggest other people do that, but it ended up working working out for me because it it was worth it. Yeah, it it was worth just getting your foot in the door. Absolutely. It doesn't always work like that. I've seen the majority of people in those situations, they end up so dejected that they they can't function after they realize because everybody has this moment where you realize you um you signed something that wasn't in your your best interest and i remember one time talking to my publisher about it even though i knew the deal was fucked up when i got it but i remember talking to my publisher about it and i was like why did you think i've said this to several people in the music business i said why do you think this is okay (laughs) that's a great question you know what i mean and the typical answer is, this is how it happened to me. This is how it's done. Which is actually what what made me want to start the school and get into education and all this other stuff I got going on. But my publisher was like, well, we didn't know you. And I was like, what? And so I always, since then, I've been like two things. One, if you do better business and it turns out bad, then, you know, at least you, you did your best. If you do good business and it turns out well, then you just exponentially multiply what you can do with that person. And if you just want to be a criminal, you know, no judgment, but rob them in in the end, not in the beginning. (laughs) 
you idiot. At least build up some goodwill. You know what I mean? Why are you so dumb? Like, yeah, yeah. If you really think this person is worth robbing, yeah, yeah. why would you steal them their money when they have 150000 versus when they have $15 million? Yeah. You're crazy. Yeah, yeah. So that that's for all you criminals out there. That's a free one. <laughs> Do you think the music industry is fixable? No. <laughs> I don't. I don't think it's fixable at all. I think um, it's just business. You know what I mean? Like... The music part is, it, it, it's it's not even important. And, and that's evident in the fact that we haven't had any new superstars really for the last decade. And it's solely because that's not in the best interest of the machine. It's, it's what, what do you, How do you feel? I mean, I'll say as a just as a person who's a fan of music, the fact that there's have been no true superstars built over the last, built or put out or have come out or come about over the last decade, it's, it's a drag, man. It is, man, and basically, it's just it just takes time because the internet has been rearranging everything since it popped off. Because basically, right now, like you know, you have internet fame, which doesn't translate into international market. And right now, the label systems have territory partners that they can make an act a global priority, meaning like you know, their partners in different territories will open up budgets to to market that person in different territories which then creates a global superstar. Yeah. And so I think that the way the internet is is closing all these bridges and gaps, you're going to start having people who are recreating that environment without the need of that system. And so the labels are aware and they've, they've figured out a lot of really smart, um, like I'm not angry at the labels. Like I, I always hear my collaborators, especially all of us, because all of us, however much money we have left, yeah. we're making millions of dollars. You know what I mean? So like, yeah, I don't have emotions about it. I, I just I also feel like music's better when there's a strong label system. But it's all, but it like, oh yeah, they don't feel any sense of responsibility to the 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 art, which I do. So that's a big part of everything I'm doing. Is like. I feel because all the people that came before me had such an impact on me that I could go from zero to traveling the world and having money and doing all this. Yeah. I'm like, who's going to do that for the next people? So yeah. that's why I'm like really working hard to to fill in that gap and really trying to support and work with other people that feel like that, which is almost every collaborator I had that people name when they name who I worked with. Yeah. It's a bunch of people who are also really concerned with preserving the art you know yeah. like bruno is a, one of the best examples like every superstar though like all the people that are on my list of people that i worked with one thing i noticed they all have in common is they're all like music historians every mm -hmm. single one of them justin timberlake he's one of them absolutely bruno, absolutely. absolutely beyonce beyonce like just expert they, they could all teach ivy league classes on music history all of them. What does that bring to writing sessions or recording sessions? Wisdom, you know, like knowing what works and and knowing the rules enough to recreate them or break them or bend them or whatever. And you just have to do that. If you want to make something new, uh, you have to understand what came before it. Yeah. That's not a super popular thing on the planet Earth, but the people that yeah. know that. Yeah have a advantage yeah it's starting to change it feels like like this hip-hop 50th thing has been cool it's been great to see people embrace artists that i think before were just kind of aligned as like that's oh, like that's old it's old school it's whack it's old you know it's like but 
feels like there's a lot of goodwill going towards our legends these days. God, so, yeah, I see that too. But that's just really that's that's the the mainstream and public perception. But the truth is, you know, like uh, whoever the biggest young rapper, like TikTok yeah. guy or or yeah. whoever you want to name, yeah. they don't have as successful a global touring career as the Wu Tang Clan. Yeah, you know what I mean. So even when we were all not looking. Yeah. The world, because even the world, we all have this tendency to look through the lens of America. Yeah. But the fact is that you're not going to find too many of these TikTok guys doing global dates versus these old guys. They've been out here getting this money the whole yeah, time. Yeah. So I think it's good that the Internet is peeling away all sorts of machines and industries ability to tell you that something is one way when it's really another and way. i also think too like to, your, to our earlier point you're 20 years in just about releasing your debut album there really is no timeline anymore like the fact like if Wu dropped a really good album oh, this year hear. people would bang it just as hard it. as right and, and that's as evidenced by nas these last hit boy, five shout out to boy, hit boy right yeah that's like my boy some of the best music nas has ever done it mm -hmm. sounds as relevant as ever People loved it as much as anything new mm -hmm. that came out. And he and Hit Boy's nominated for producer of the year off of that. Deserved. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, deserved. He should get it every year. That's my boy. He's he's on fire. I talked to him a few months ago just because yeah, I was so I was so pumped on those Nas records. Man. I met him Ridiculous. day zero. I met him when I was trying to get the publishing deal with the underdogs. Well, that's when we met. So I know him for my whole entire career. Was he also trying to get a deal there? That's a funny story, actually. I, I don't know if he talked about the fact that it used to be Hit Boys. Did he tell you that? No. Uh-uh. Yeah, it used to be two of them. No way. <laughs> I'll let him tell that story. All right. It used to be two Hit Boys, and one of them uh, left to what we thought was signing a deal with the underdogs, which ended up to be um, actually not the case. But yeah, he- We, we did talk all, about his uh, his initial bad deal, yeah, though. We yeah, did talk we about all that. were trying to- We Everybody, basically, it was like- it was in this building that now Diane Warren owns that Babyface used to own. That used to be Solar back oh, in the day. Dick Griffey, right? Yeah, it's on yeah. Uh, Hollywood and Coenga. Wow. And so the underdogs had the third floor because they have a relationship with Babyface. With so do I. Shout out to Babyface. He's one of the greats. Man. Well, I, I consider him the top. Well, I consider me the top, if I'm being totally honest. <laughs> but... If I'm taking myself, I don't know. I think you need 20 more years, man. I, I, I love, I love well, you. Well, you know, I talked to Babyface about this. I said, yo, man, I can never be Babyface. Like, what, what should, how can I even do it? And he was like, he said, really how you need to think about it is that because I've been doing this so long, there's things that I've done that you just can't do. He was like, you can't work with Whitney Houston. You know what I mean? So you can't, we, we can't match each other on that in that regard. But he was like, the same thing will be true for you one day. In It'll 20 be, years, though, yeah. Beyonce and Rihanna, they're going to be the way we think of Whitney now, which mm -hmm. is like, you know what I mean? Like, So, you know, I'm babyface now, babyface. Yeah. I'm going to let right. you hold on to the name because you earned it. Did you always love his music? Absolutely. As an artist, before I knew he was writing everything under the sun, he was the first person I heard about doing a catalog sale. So that's how I even learned that that existed. And that was probably 16, 17 years ago. And he recouped it, which is just uh, that's not even a thing today. Yeah. So, you know, statistically, he's there. He, we can't argue if he's number one or not. But as far as uh, writing, he's my number one. I know as far as my taste, he's got to be one of the great songwriters of all time, man. Yeah, I, I think he's number one, especially just from writing standpoint. But then, like, you know, my top guys are 
Baby face. It's, it's me. It's me five times. But it's baby face. <laughs> okay, after you five times. What, <laughs> um, what's six to ten? <laughs> it's baby face. Um, Stevie Wonder, John Mayer. I feel like we're not taking John Hold Mayer up. seriously. Wait a second. I'm gonna keep keep going. Then we can go revisit this whole. We can go back. Uh, so baby face, Stevie Wonder, John Mayer, Prince. Um, and then I'll say Diane Warren. All right, I love John Mayer. We go back to that. Is that in order? No. Okay, that's good. Cause I, don't, I mean, Stevie, I love Babyface, but it's hard to put. Well, Stevie Wonder got a bunch of songs about seeing shit. So who could be who could compete with that? <laughs> How are we gonna beat that one? You just you not you're not gonna get to that level of creativity. What is it about John Mayer that you feel like put like the other the other four? I mean, I love John. He's Mayer. on the same I'm a big level. Fan, but. I'm telling you, John yeah. Mayer's on the same level. He's one of the best writers ever on earth to ever live, period. And he's also an amazing singer and arranger and musician. He's like unbelievable. I, I would say You think he's underrated. got a song as good as anything on the Waiting to Excel soundtrack? I, I think he has more than one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Like Stop This Train. You know that song, Stop This Train? Yeah, it's on uh, Continuum. Yeah, I, yeah. Don't, I don't know what, what song we could confidently say is better than that song. It would have to be as good as that song. I'm just telling you as one of the greatest writers of all time. <laughs> as, a, as, as, as one, two, three, four, yeah. and five. <laughs> yeah, that's, so it's, that's just... That's a good, it is a good song. It's no, a it's a song. great song. Yeah. It's, it's a song that captures the human condition in a way that is almost impossible to do in a digestible format. It's, it's relatable. It's introspective. It's musically incredible. It's proof that he's one of the greatest writers of all time. This is definitely one of the great albums. That whole album. I mean, his first album. What? It's like, good. come on. But Continuum's got to be his top Continuum album. Continuum is definitely his best album. But his first album, he was letting us know right there. He's still on uh, every song. The first one I heard was the first single that Your was Bodies on. of Wonderland was the first no, one. No, Body, Bodies of Wonderland was the second one. Is that the if second I'm not mistaken. Because the first one was I Want to Run Through the Halls of My High School. I remember oh, that song. Oh, yeah, that's right. And so that one, I was like, that got me, and this was before I was even writing, and that got my attention. Like, what's going on here? But then when I heard Your Body's in Wonderland, I was like, so you know what? I want to add him to my list of influences because I really think about how he writes as like a great example of all these things I'm talking about, as far as like adhering to the examples that all these greats have set before us and then doing it his own way. I think he's up there. What about you as a guitar player? Oh, um, I suck, dude. Like, I I just love the guitar. I'm so in love with the guitar, so I've been playing it now for a long time. But I'll never forget, man. I did this show because when I first I taught myself the guitar as an adult, and I just had it in the car with me, in the band with me, everywhere. I'm just strumming it and fucking with it. And then I wrote this project called um, String Theory because I'm a nerd, and uh, I performed it at this this venue called No Name that was on Fairfax back in the day, and. I don't even know if Robert Cavallo remembers this. This is my, I love him to death. Like I just uh, talked, I, I went to his birthday last year and I told him the Dookie Green Day poster is the only music poster I ever had on my wall in my life. Wow. Yeah, it's the only music poster I ever had. I'm, I was a big fan of Green Day and a bunch of things at that time. But I, I don't even know if he knows this because I met him several times and in my life. he produced that record. Yeah, right? yeah. He, uh, I went to his house when I first started writing with Justin Timberlake and we had a funny exchange there. But he walked up to me at the show. I don't even know if he remembers this. But after I performed, my, this is my first time performing live, playing the guitar. And he walks up to me. He's like, you don't know who I am, but I'm a pretty successful rock producer. 
and I can tell you don't know how to play the guitar. And I was like, you know, oh shit, I'm caught. And he was like, and I really want to tell you that you're a genius. He was like, I can tell you don't know what you're doing, but the fact that you figured this out and and, and how creative the arrangements are and how you're just doing all this stuff. He was like, you're a genius. This is insane Like that you just did that and you don't even know how to play the guitar. And um, so that's kind of how I feel about it. It's really like, I can't really play anything, but I just am lucky to have the ability to comprehend why I love what I love about music. And then even though I can't tell you the numbers of the root notes or the progression or none of these other really important vital things that you need to call yourself a musician, but I know how it's supposed to sound and I'm creative. Well, I don't even know if it's how it's supposed to sound. Like you play stuff, but I don't even know if that's how it's supposed to sound. It just sounds like there's stuff on even on the record you just put out today, like mm-hmm. Magic, where I'm like, what is oh, that? Good? Yeah. Like what? Is, like you know, it's like yeah, how does when, this work? When, when the like, band was listening to it, to, we were picking songs for the show. I just did and. I could tell they were like, what's going on? But uh, it's crazy. Like, but it's like it makes no sense, but it's absolutely beautiful. Thanks. And somehow it fits into the song. <laughs> and you're like, I don't know how he made like I don't know how you made that song out of that riff or how you fit that riff into that song. Well, I don't wish whatever way it went. Mm-hmm. But it's incredible. Thank you. It's observing, man. I worked with John Mayer a bunch of times, so I was great. I was already I already felt how I felt before I even met him. But then I was able to see him work, too. So that showed me some things about how to, what to do with the guitar. And then also this producer named Mike Elizondo. And Mike Elizondo, I, I worked with so many times over the years. But even though his biggest hit is in the club, probably, but he's like an incredible rock producer. Like, he's so, so, like, serious about all the genres he does. He can do anything, but, like... I worked with him in a bunch of sessions that were like rock leaning, you know, like it was pop rock or like just rock stuff. So I got to watch him making, you know, rock music the way he imagines it. And it was just certain things I learned from watching both of those guys that I was like, okay, so I don't need to really be good. (laughs) I just need to know how to do it. And, you know, like do what I'm trying to do with with everything I've learned in singing and writing and production, because I've really been producing longer than both of those other things. Like people don't know that. Yeah. But I I know how to just get it to feel the way I want it to feel. And then once I get this feeling, then now I'm like, okay, now back to what I was saying earlier, now this song is of use. This is creating the it's feeling. It's really a feeling it. thing. And that's why I was saying yeah. that like, yeah, I know like there's a lot of <laughs> people that have copied your style, but there's something that hits very different when you're doing it or when it's your thing. There's an emotion in it that's just, that doesn't translate to someone who's trying to just do a song that sounded like one of yours. It's a really like a, it's like something that was captured in the room. was like documenting something in the room. I don't know if that's necessarily well, it's, what's there's, happening. There's it's a, a few real things emotion. that the people that study me, even though I'm, I'm, I'll tell you, you know what I mean? It's not a secret, but it's just a few things that, one thing is it's my style while complex there's some entry points that are just not hard you know what i mean because like that it's supposed to be something that people can can enjoy it's not supposed to be like you know just like music for the sake of other for for other musicians it's like for people but then also there's just things that they that everybody hasn't picked up on yet you know like there's dynamic stuff which i got this from I heard Prince and Sade. Sade is a huge influence. This is Sade tattooed on my hand. Oh, wow. Yeah, Sade as um, Mary. (laughs) that's amazing. So that's another huge influence. But like Sade and Prince and like kind of singing a, 
And also a lot of singers can't even do this to emulate it, but like singing a low octave and a high octave, that creates a certain kind of feeling that I notice people haven't picked up on that yet. Thinking of the singer as a, a character, you know, like um, I noticed this on the song Village Ghetto Land by Stevie Wonder, which we all now know he loves classical music and that's why he was doing all these different um, classical leaning things. But when I heard that song, He's singing with like a slight British accent on the song. And so what that taught me was that, you know, because that why I, I, I instantly knew why he did it. I'm like, it's classical music. It's already it's interesting because you're talking about the life, the ghetto life experience with the backdrop of classical. So that's a lesson right there because that's interesting. The, the, the opposing right? forces. Yeah. So yeah. that's a lesson that yeah. everybody needs to understand. And then the other thing is that. He, he put himself into a character. He changed how he's pronouncing the words, his vibrato, all these other things. So I'm like, you can do that on every song. Yeah. Every song, every every song has a different intent. And Point so like, view. yeah. Yeah, so like, I, you know, I, ch I literally change how I sing, how I pronounce words, how if I'm singing louder, I change like in the arrangement, different harmonies might have different characters. But for sure, when I'm doing the performance, I'm acting. You know what I mean? Like you're you're acting. I think of the whole thing in terms of movies. The whole and everything about my music is is I'm thinking about cinematic dynamics, special effects, building it up, conflict. I always use the Hangover as an example of what I'm thinking when I'm writing. Like in the Hangover. What, what a lot of people do in their writing, like if we're thinking about that scene in The Hangover the next day, is they're like, they'll have a song called Smoking Chair with a Chicken on it, right? And it'll be like, there's a chair with smoke and a chicken and blah, right? And what, what The Hangover is doing is when, they, when everybody wakes up, the camera pans around the room and you just see the aftermath of what happened. And then for the rest of the movie, you're finding, everybody's trying to figure out what happened. Right. And so in a song, while you can't that that's a type of song there's instruction songs like back that ass up yeah pretty clear what you need to do but then when you're making a cinematic when you're creating a scene it's better to describe the scene to get the point across so like as far as the performance is concerned that's part of it that's like part of the scene is i'm describing the scene to you because you can't see it most of you know unless there's a video and then I'm acting it out in a particular character so you feel the emotion it's supposed to invoke. Wow, that's incredible. And that's a great point about Village Ghetto Land. I never, the song would be a lot less interesting to be, I mean, it'd still be a good song, but it'd be way less interesting if we didn't perform it that way. Yeah. It's an incredible lesson to take from that. It's something that the the listener doesn't need to know. You know what I mean? It's 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 something that is for it's a detail that's for the person that wants to learn how to communicate at the highest level through music. And so I use that on almost every single song. There's a song on this album, it's Slay, on the Slay song. That's a cool song. On the second verse of that song. And I and actually I wrote the first half of that song in a songwriting class at my school. <laughs> What? Yeah, so my students watched me write the first half of you that. You were trying song. to teach them. Yeah. While I wrote that song. And then the second verse, since I'm already like in education mode when I'm thinking about the song, I literally sang the first and second line in two different characters. So the first line, how I'm singing it is different, how I'm pronouncing the words is different. You know, it's like, you know, a lot more 
not articulate, but like it's it's more sophisticated, the first character. And then the second one, I literally have like a Southern, not as real Southern accent, but it's like, you know, a lot more. With draw kind of. Yeah, like just a different person. But, you know, so if first you. First and second line on the second, second verse. First and second line of the second verse. I, I'm going to listen for that again. Yeah, I love man. that song. I didn't even pick up on that. Oh, cool. I can play it right now. Okay. Yeah, so subtle. Two different guys. Wow. Same voice, but the first one, I'm I'm articulating the words. I'm singing softly. It's, you know, it's a complicated uh, melody. Yeah, right. (laughs) And then the second line, I'm just hood. I'm back to the ghetto. That's it. Wow, man. That's a great lesson. Thanks. The same thing I talked about in the beginning about like when I first started and I was really focused on creating my own style. I'm still doing that. I'm still, you know, like changing every song is a new opportunity for me to see what can I do? What what did I do before that I liked? What did I try that didn't work? And then what can I add in now that I haven't done before? So I'm still trying to figure it out. Man, well, thanks for kicking it, man. Appreciate yeah, it. This is a, it. a beautiful record. Thank uh, you so much. I'm glad it's like compiled finally into one like mm-hmm. listenable, digestible thing. I'll, yeah, you don't have to switch when you're running or whatever. That's what I hear all the time. It's like, I'm tired of, I'm on the treadmill. I'm going between SoundCloud, SoundCloud and this. And I'm like, <laughs> I can't relate to that. I'm not on the treadmill, but I got you. You know what I'm saying? Thanks to James Fauntleroy for chatting about his songwriting career and his debut album, The Warmest Winter Ever. You can hear it along with our other favorite James Fauntleroy penned songs on a playlist at brokenrecordpodcast.com. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash brokenrecordpodcast where you can find all of our new episodes. You can follow us on Twitter at Broken Record. Broken Record is produced and edited by Leah Rose with marketing help from Eric Sandler and Jordan McMillan. Our engineer is Ben Tolliday. Broken Record is a production of Pushkin Industries. If you love this show and others from Pushkin, consider subscribing to Pushkin Plus. Pushkin Plus is a podcast subscription that offers bonus content and ad-free listening for $4.99 a month. Look for Pushkin Plus on Apple Podcast subscriptions. And if you like this show, please remember to share, rate, and review us on your podcast app. Our theme music's by Kenny Beats. I'm Justin Richmond. Every week at Broken Record, we meet with legends of the industry to uncover the meaning behind the music, the strategy and history that separate the good from the truly great. That's what Mark Chaikin does, but for the U.S. stock market. Mark is a creative legend in his own right. He worked on Wall Street for 50 years, invented three new indices for the NASDAQ, and has predicted some of the biggest market shifts of the past decade, including the recent mania in AI stocks. Now Mark says we're seeing a similar shakeup in the financial markets. He's calling this a new dawn for the U.S. stock market and predicts dozens of specific stocks will soar in the next 90 days. You can watch Mark's presentation for free at marketmessage2024.com right now. Again, the link to watch is marketmessage2024.com. That's marketmessage2024.com. 
Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. This is your chance to reignite some old musical passions or pick up an instrument for the first time. Connect with more than 100 of the world's best teachers and musicians. You'll get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 a month, less than a single private lesson. I mean, why do we do Broken Record? Not just because we love hearing from great musicians. We do it because we think that there is something beautiful about the appreciation of music. Don't you think we need more of that in our lives these days? That's the mission of Musora, to inspire, educate, and connect musicians. Enjoy unlimited personal support, weekly live streams, student lesson plans. It's like having a personal music teacher, only much, much better. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com, to start a new musical journey today. It all started with two federal agents who heard a rumor. She mentioned, well, there is this alleged murder to have taken place. There was just one problem. They had no clue who the victim was. We have to do our job, and we have to find out who did they kill. It had been 15 years since this alleged murder. Was it still possible to unearth the truth? I used to watch um, the Unsolved Mystery shows, and I often thought about calling because I was like, this is, this is not right. How can a person get killed and no one knows anything? I'm Jake Halpern, and this is Deep Cover, The Nameless Man. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to hear the entire season right now, ad-free, subscribe to Pushkin Plus on our Apple Podcast show page or on pushkin.fm slash plus. Plus.